Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From all these episodes, I aim for all of us to take more risks in our lives, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and some fun in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the number one international best-selling book called We Don't Die. A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on our show, we have Krista Gorman. Let me tell you a little bit about Krista. She's a physician assistant who died during labor with her daughter 14 years ago. Her consciousness left her body and traveled to the afterlife where she was reunited with universal love. Before she returned, She made an agreement with her spiritual guides that she'd share what she had learned there with others here. After many years of struggling to reintegrate back into her life, Krista wrote the book called I Died and Learned How to Love, where she was able to put into words what her near-death experience taught her about life. Krista has made it her life's purpose to share what she has learned with others in the spirit of love and service. So hi, Krista. Welcome to We Don't Die. Hi, Sandra. I'm so happy to be here. I know. It's great. We've been sharing emails back and forth, and now to hear your voice is just fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's a perfect time to talk to and um, to our listener. You know, you never know when you're listening to this, but you know, we are um, recording this uh, prior to Christmas. So um, with the holidays upon us, I know for myself, you know, my dad's not around and my grandmother's not around anymore. And yeah, my life doesn't look like I had thought it would be, you know, 48, single, no kids. Um, and so there can be regrets and there can be um, fear and there can be um, just this feeling of loss around the holiday times. And so I'm excited to talk to Krista today because she's got an unbelievable story. And my stand for all of us is that after this interview, we leave thinking about the holiday season just a little bit differently, about who we are, about our loved ones still being with us, even though we might not be able to see it, see them. So Krista, does that sound aligned with what you're up to? Oh, absolutely. And I love I love that you bring that very subject up the fact that people, when they die, that they haven't really left. They're yes. always there. Yes, and it's important. And even, um, like I said, around the holiday times, it can be really hard and a lot of grief can kick in. But it would be different if you, you know, you, you may not want to or need to set a space for somebody at the table, but you may want to. Or just as you're decorating the tree, you and I are both decorating our trees tonight, is imagine that they're they're right with you, telling you where to put the ornaments or whatever. So how about you tell us a little bit about you and, and, um, and what happened? So okay. you've got well, the mic. I was... Um... I had just graduated from my physician assistant training program, and it was the end of June 2000, and I was due to have my daughter um, about three weeks later, and what had happened was at my 20-week ultrasound, which is at five months, they get a, an ultrasound, and they can determine the sex, and they check all the organs and everything. Uh-huh. They had they had seen that there was something wrong with my daughter's kidney, so... They said, well, you know what, it's probably a good idea if we take her, induce you a week early, and have her seen by a specialist. Okay. So I kind of reluctantly agreed to that. I, I I knew that it was something that needed to be done medically. Um, at the same time, I really wanted to be able to deliver her in a natural way. Yep. But um, I sort of, I was fearful um, that if I didn't agree that something, that there would be a bad outcome. So I said, okay, let's do it. I went into the hospital on a Sunday evening and started the induction. And by the next morning, about 13 hours later, I had only dilated about three centimeters. So they said, you know what? This has gone on long enough. What we need to do is probably do a C-section. We'll give you a little bit more time. So once that decision was made, it wasn't very much longer that I was, you know, continuing in labor. I'd had an epidural. And I was watching the monitor next to the bed. And being a PA, I knew what the tracing on the monitor should look like okay. whenever I had a contraction. 
And what was happening was that when I did have a contraction, my daughter's heart rate would drop very, very low, dangerously low. And I knew that they don't, you know, that's not tolerated. Um, the, the instant that happens, the decision is quickly made what to do, and, and it's almost always a cesarean section. Right. So that's exactly what was going to occur. So as they had to put an internal monitor on, on my daughter's scalp, which is a metal, sort of a metal corkscrew, and it monitors her pulse very closely. It's, it's the most accurate way to measure it um, until the C-section was performed. So they were doing that, and all of a sudden I just felt like I couldn't, you know, I was getting short of breath, and it was it was very, very quick um, the, um, as it progressed in, in its severity. Mm-hmm. And, pre, you know, in seconds, in a matter of seconds, I, I was gasping for air. So they were, and they were wheeling me out of the room. You know, the, the, the staff at the hospital just acted very quickly, and they were moving me out of the room, and I remember being in the hallway on my side with an oxygen mask on me, trying to take deep breaths, and I just couldn't. It was, I was very, you know, um, more and more shallow breathing. And I just remember I was struggling, and then just there was this instant of just oh, dramatic serenity that just came over me. And I knew that everything was going to be okay. And then the lights went out. <laughs> okay. Wow. And uh, so then the next thing, so that was the last thing I remember there. And then the next thing I remember was being high above my body, my eyes, my, my vision had remained intact. And I was looking down high above my body at the scene going on below me. And I was also seeing black sort of particulate matter rapidly coming up to where I was, like approaching me, my eyes. And then I was, I kind of looked around at myself and I was sort of the static like cloud kind of hovering there, mm-hmm. and I looked, kind of glanced around me at the level I was at, and I saw that the walls had, were kind of fluid, um, and down below me was uh, something laying on a bed, and, and what was going on below me, I didn't recognize, I didn't, I couldn't put a label to anything, it was just activity, okay. and I didn't know there were people, I didn't know that was my body, but I'm watching this scene, and, and it's fascinating to me, and I saw my daughter literally being born, um, being handed to somebody at my right shoulder. And while I was watching that, they, t- they turned around very quickly, and, and what they were doing was resuscitating her. And I remember feeling, wait, wait, I want to see you. What, what are you doing? And then I, I saw somebody come into the room and step up to the, to the side of my body. And from what I understand, that was a, um, a specialist who had responded to the code blue mm-hmm. and was coming in to help. Um, and then I kind of went around to the to the left side of my body and was looking from that angle, and I started to feel like it was more familiar. Um, like, wow, you know, wait, this is something I know. And as I started to feel that, I felt something pulling me from the left, and it was like a tug. And I said, no, no, I want to stay. I'm, I'm, I want to see this. And then it pulled harder. So I decided to let go. I decided to go with that. And the instant I made that decision, I was moving at you know lightning speed, mm-hmm. um, and I moved through a light, a, like a white space. It wasn't a bright light, but it was just intensely white, very brief, into a space that was just expanding, you know, infinitely, um, but yet was very, very small. Um, the, the place I was in was very tiny, but I felt like I was expanding at the same time. Um, I was that particulate matter that had rejoined this particulate matter that I was in. And it was like an immersion in it, and it was just pure, blissful love. And I wow. felt that, and I felt, oh, wow. <laughs> it was just this, just such an intense, rapid kind of feeling. And then instantaneously, all the questions I'd ever had in my life were answered just in a, in a, in a nanosecond. And what they all boiled down to was love. Every single question boiled down to us. And so I had that knowledge then at that moment and was continuing to move in the space. And on my right, I saw that there was a, a small gray sort of dot in the distance. And as I approached, it got larger and larger. And it was, it was drawing me in. And at the same time, I wanted to go and see what that was. Mm-hmm. I had that desire. And so I, I came up, and I was getting closer to it, and I could see that there were these shadow-like figures in the in the opening, the space. It was sort of a circle, and very ill-defined. And inside, just inside that opening, 
there was a shadow figure of a little boy, and I can just describe him as like a little Tom Sawyer, like somebody from the 1800s mm-hmm. with a wide-brimmed hat and overalls, although it was very unclear, um, um, his features. But he was, he was at the front of, of, a, of a grouping of adult shadow figures. And they, it's almost like they had put him there um, to draw me in. Yep. And so I went into that space, and, and I sort of moved past almost a line of these these adult figures. And, and I got in there, and I my intention was to help little Boyd, and then I didn't know where he was. He had gone somewhere. They had taken him away or done something with him. And I was confused for a minute, and I felt like that place wasn't as loving as the place I had just come from. And I felt uneasy. And yeah, I wanted to help these people, these figures, these spirits. Um, I wanted to give them what they wanted, although I didn't know exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And once I, they sensed that strong emotion of wanting to help, that compassion, they started to come at me like um, very quickly, very, very, very quickly, come at me, and and it felt like my energy was being depleted, like they were taking my energy away from me. Interesting. And that, wow. yes, and that happened so fast. And, and I could feel myself being like almost disintegrating there, just losing myself there. And I wanted to leave. And as soon as I had that desire, once again, I was being pulled away. So I was back in that, that static like space, that expansive space, and feeling that love. And then I came to another opening, which was. Of a, you know the same kind of static that I was, and I merged into this space of just a gorgeous landscape. It was this field of yellow flowers out in front of me, just span far off in the distance, and it, it sort of met rolling green hills and a blue sky and trees dotted across the, the green grass. And on my right hand side, there was a, an intensely evergreen forest, um, and then on my left there was this rocky, beautiful rocky moss-covered rock waterfall. Hmm. And I felt this sense of being just one with all of it. You know, the the flowers and the rocks and the waterfall and the trees, they were all a part of me and I was a part of them. And it felt like home to me. And I just was in, I was in bliss. And then I was flanked on both sides by what I, I, I would label them as angels, but they were, they were like benevolent spirits that were there to serve as my guides. Okay. And at that point, it was almost, I was at another threshold. And they communicated to me, and it was it was, it was not telepathic, it was through feeling. Um, I felt them tell me that I could stay there, I could move through that to what lay beyond there, or I could come back to my body. And it didn't, it just took a second for me to make the decision to come back to my body Although I didn't know why I was deciding that. Interesting. Um, but okay. Yes. I knew that was the thing I, I needed to do mm-hmm. and that I wanted to do. And they, and so I started to move away um, from them. And they literally like turned towards me and they said, but if you go back, you need to learn what you, you need to share what you learned here. And there was no hesitation in me at all. I said, yes, of course I would. Who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so then the next thing I remember was... Um, waking up to someone uh, rubbing their knuckles on my sternum, and, and what that's called a sternal rub, and um, and it's done when you're trying to bring somebody around that you you believe is is you know awake, but they're just not coming to, they're not waking up. Uh-huh. Um, so that and that was it turned out that was my neurologist rubbing his knuckles because they had induced a medical coma um, to help my body to recover from what I'd been through. Um, and what that was, was I had suffered an amniotic fluid embolism where the amniotic fluid had gotten into my bloodstream and my body saw it as foreign and attacked it and surrounded it with cells and that formed clots that traveled to my lungs and block, blocked off the circulation there, oh, which is why I, I went into a cardiorespiratory arrest. And typically that's a fatal um um, medical emergency. Yep. After after that happened, and, and it's what I learned was a, a common um, problem after an amniotic fluid embolism is DIC or disseminated intravascular coagulation, which is you bleed everywhere. You just bleed. Um, you don't have any ability to clot the blood. 
Oh my gosh. And so that had happened too. Um, so in that you have a 50, 50 chance of surviving that. So I had, um, I had been in the ICU only about 48 hours or so when I started to show clear signs that I was, you know, I was at least not, um, you know, going to be incapacitated completely in my life. I was going to live, but they didn't, they still didn't know what kind of brain function I would have. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, just very quickly, I came out of that. Um, they stopped the medicine to, to keep me in the coma, and, and I started to come out of it, and I started to interact with people. And the next thing I remember was literally standing, I remember standing next to my bed in the ICU and flinging open the curtain because there was something going on, and, and I didn't know what it was, and I needed to find out. And there was my entire family, which was about 10 people that had come to the hospital, were all in a circle outside the ICU and they were talking and I flung the curtain open and I saw my father's head pop up out of the circle and goes, uh-oh. <laughs> what I had done was unhooked myself from all the monitors, the blood pressure cuff, everything, and climbed over the railing of the bed. So you really did and, this? This isn't, a, this isn't a out-of-body experience. You really did it? I really did that. Oh, my and gosh. I did that, <laughs> did that only about maybe 72 hours after the cardiac arrest. Wow. So they were just floored. And um, and so, you know, I was moved out of the ICU at that point into another room and recovered there. So at about eight days um, after the, the emergency, I left the hospital. And my daughter, in the meantime, she had to be delivered emergently, and she was she had a heart rate of about 60, and that was it. She wasn't moving. She was blue. She wasn't breathing. Oh, my gosh. Um, so they quickly resuscitated her. And moved her from the hospital I was at to another local hospital that had a, a neonatal intensive care unit because mm -hmm. the one we were at didn't have one. And so she was there for um, about eight days before, or six days, I'm sorry, before they brought her to me. And I got to see her for the first time. And it was so cool because they handed her to me and, and it was like we knew each other. It, I didn't, you know, my parents say, oh, you know, you didn't react at all. You were just like, it's like she was a baby doll. And I said, no, I knew her. I, I felt like we already knew each other. That's that was amazing. the first time we met. Yeah. So, you know, since then, it was a, it was a roller coaster. Um, I really, you know, I, I remembered my experience, not right away. Um, I remembered it about three weeks later. And it came to me in a, in a very vivid dream. And I woke up and I was completely changed. It was, it was just amazing. Like, you know, after I came home, I was, I was blissed out. I was just like, I had no anxiety, nothing mattered. I took care of my daughter, instinctively just took care of my daughter. My mom was like, I don't know how you knew what to do, but you know what to do. Wow. And yeah, and um, and I was just like, nothing mattered, you know, everything was cool. <laughs> and that was not me. That was completely not me. I was a PA student and very intense and very type A. And um, so everyone's like, okay, she'll come back. You know, she'll be the same old Krista, no worries. Um, and then I had that dream and I was like, wow, you know, I remembered that it was like more vivid than life itself. It's, it's just, you know, you'll, you'll hear people talk about it and it's like, yeah, you know, that sounds really neat, but to actually experience it is just out of this world. And, um, and I didn't know what to do with it. It was, uh, it was so overwhelming and so intense and I felt such a huge responsibility to share that message of love with everybody and the thing is, is that the message is not just love, like, oh, we need to love each other, you know, but right. it's every, every part of our being is love. And to express that in our lives and in every possible way is why we're here. Um, Say more so, about that, because I don't, I don't really oh, well, get that. Well, we are, the source of us is this energy of love. And it's, it's not something you can put your finger on unless you're here in the physical world and you understand that everything is made of love. Every solid thing is made of love. Every tree, every flower, every person, every animal is made of love. And in that way, we can touch it physically. But there's the spiritual, um, what's the word I'm looking for, part of love that is, is not, you can't touch it but we all share it. We can't see it, right. but it's shared between us and everything else. 
and it's that whole um, you know, quantum physics mm-hmm. um, idea about the the sharing of energy, and it's moving through us all the time, and and, and it's in constant motion, and and you know the air I breathe right now is the same air that my husband is breathing um, two minutes later. You know that's and those are particles. We're sharing all of that. Um, it's what makes us up, and every bit of it is love. The only thing is that we are not necessarily aware of that in this physical body. Right. Um, we come from it. We are it. But when we're born into this world, that single solid that that single um, idea or feeling of love turns into that feeling of love. But then this other thing, which is fear. Yeah. So we're born into that. When we come into this physical world, we carry the knowledge of fear, and it's sort of triggered when we start to experience, when we start to have life experiences here. So we come into this world as pure, just beautiful, joyful, light, and love, mm-hmm. and then we begin to experience its opposite. So then we learn, okay, well, I am, I'm love, but then there's this other thing that doesn't feel so good. And... It, you know, depending on how the balance of that in one's life is, is the um, is the result of our personality, I suppose, our way of dealing with things in life. You know, mm-hmm. if we are raised in a very loving household, we tend to be very loving people, right? Um, and express that. If we are raised in a in a an abusive household, we tend to be fearful, and possibly abusive people. Um, because that's what we've we've been immersed in, right? Um, and what what people need to understand is that at any given moment we have the choice to create our reality. You know, it's the law of attraction, very much the law of attraction, and I experienced that in the afterlife firsthand. Um, because I intended to go towards that, that those spirit beings, I wanted to help them. That was my desire and my intention. They were also drawing me in, and this was all orchestrated by this universal love, this universal energy. So they were drawing me in. I intended to go there. Then I wanted to leave. I was given that. I was, I left because that was not by my own accord, but it was through the help of the universal love, divine love, God, goddess, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was given this, this experience with those beings because I am a person who loves to help people, and for many years of my life, I lost myself in that. I would help them, but not help myself. I would give of myself and not give to myself. Was that and before to... having this experience or mm-hmm. after? Before. Before. Yeah, very much before. And I feel like that experience was um, created by me and for me so that I could learn to put myself first to love and have compassion, but I needed to put myself first in order to be there for other people, to be able to give that love and compassion to other people. How do you do that, Krista? What's that? How do you do that? How do you start? Because in theory, it sounds great that we can't help anybody else unless we take care of ourselves and self-love is so important. And, you know, many of us live with doubts and fears and negative thoughts about ourselves. And and do you have any idea how we can put in that that love? Because it's so easy for many of us to love other people. Yes, it is. When we look in the mirror, not so much. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's the thing is, is just to become, first to become aware that of who you are, what you are, which is just love. Um, the same love that you, you give to somebody else, imagine, you know, that being given to you and, and being given to you by you. Um, now, just to know that even... You don't have to necessarily know how to put it into action, mm-hmm. but just to first have that understanding, that's the very first step. And then to listen to your own body's energy. Let's say somebody asks you to um, host a party for an event, and you've got work, you've got all these other things going on, yet you want to help them, but it really means like really taxing you and stressing you out, mm-hmm. rather than saying, oh, you know, rather than than saying, yes, you know, I can absolutely do that or I can do that, no problem, and then feeling bad about it because you know that you're going to feel stressed out, you're not going to be able to enjoy it. It's The choice is there is to say, I'd love to help you, but 
XYZ. You know, this is what I need to do for me right now. Okay. And is there any other way that I can help you where it won't require so much of my time, my energy, and that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an easy, that's sort of an easy example. The other examples come when, when you're in relationships and, and, you know, a lot of women specifically tend to lose themselves in their relationships with others. And, it's such a, a, an easy thing to do when, when you're not aware. And to be aware that your needs are, are equally important as anyone else's needs, if not more so, in order to take care of yourself, then if you're not realizing that, then you're, you're going to lose yourself in that relationship. And the, the best thing that, the thing that's helped me and that my experience completely supported is to put myself first in terms of, okay, how do I feel about this situation? Is it making me feel uncomfortable? Is it making me feel good? If it's not making me feel good, then what is my part in it? How am I contributing to that not feeling good? And what can I do to change that at this moment? What can I do? Do I need to change my thinking about it? Do I need to change my approach to it? Do I need to to change the fact that I'm even involved in this at all? You know, um, there's a lot of self-reflection that goes along with that, but I, I feel like the main thing is feeling and intention in our lives and monitoring our thoughts. Um, the afterlife for me, the experience was pure feeling and vision. I could see and I could feel emotions and I, I could um, feel the energy of the spirit beings. Um, so the intention portion is very important because what we need to focus on first is our intention. What is our intention for ourselves? Do we want to feel good or do we, do we want to feel like we're, you know, being of service to other people right. um, and only focusing on that or do we want to feel good? And so focusing on feeling good and then taking that next step, okay, what is it that I, I can do in this situation that won't, you know, won't drown me or make me feel bad? So feelings come first. Feelings come first. And intention. And then speak a little bit about monitoring our thoughts because, man, I tell you what, I try to quiet my mind sometimes and just uh, thoughts just come flooding in and most of them are not empowering. What what can we do about our mm. thoughts? Well, my, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory here. After sure. I came back from, from my experience, I wanted to share it with everybody, and everybody wanted me to be who I was before, and I wasn't that person any longer. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I can that see was that. very intense. Yeah. yeah. Like, where and did Krista go? So, yeah, and so their energy was, because it's all about energy, their energy was, we want Krista to be the way she was before. I felt like I wanted to be the new person I had learned I was. Right. And... I didn't know how to be that, though. I didn't know what I needed to do to be that person. Because here I was back in the physical world, not understanding how to navigate myself through it anymore. Um, as the new person I had, I had learned I was. So I, you know, I struggled with that a lot. And, um, and I eventually, you know, fell back into the crystal role. As, as my brain injury improved, I became more and more like the old me. And with the exception of the fact that I was a lot softer and a lot more loving mm-hmm. and and a lot more caring um, to myself, too. Um, and so that goes along with, okay, what was my intention back then? Um, I wanted to be this loving being, but I needed to fit back into my life. Okay, well, how can I manage that and still be happy in some respect? Right. So I had, to, I had to alter my thinking. Um, I looked at it as, okay, you have this this tremendous experience to share with other people. You're not really sure how to do it yet, so you just need to figure it out, and you'll figure it out along the way. And I just sort of stayed focused on that figuring it out while I was trying to manage my life in the meantime. And the the struggle sometimes was really overwhelming um, in doing that because I just wanted to, sometimes I just wanted to run away and, and go to, like, you know, like... A, a commune or something. You're right. Like, you know, I just wanted to like, like just meditate and just learn how to really be that love um, in this physical world. And, and it, that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I, I struggled with that and I tried to keep myself happy and kind of grounded by watching my thoughts, you know, that my near death experience would 
the memory would come to me and I, I, I would push it away, but at the same time I would say, okay, not now, not yet. Um, my relationships, they were navigating them was difficult and I didn't do a good job of it for a, a long time. But then I came to the realization that, okay, you, I felt out of control with stuff. I, I, I was like, you know, I feel like I'm not in control of my life at all. I want to be this person, but I am not. Right. And I have to go to work and I have to be a mother and I have to be a wife and I have to clean the house and do all these other things that distract me. And I'm really unhappy about it. So I had to change my thinking. Okay, you want to fulfill your spirit, which we all do. Mm-hmm. But right now, you can't have the end result right now. You need to figure out a way to live your life that will give you happiness and joy while you move towards that end result. So I altered my thinking. I saw, you know, washing the dishes as I'm serving my family. I'm, I'm serving myself also because I know that this needs to be done and it's going to get me to, you know, the next step right. towards where I want to be. Um, because ultimately I wanted to be sharing my experience with other people and just doing that, yeah. making a living, just doing that, just helping people. So in the meantime, my relationships are very difficult, and I realized that, that a lot of things, but I realized mainly that I needed to change my thinking and monitoring your thoughts. So let's say, you know, there was an instance where um, my husband got very, very ill. Um, he was a tour musician for about 20 years, and he had neglected his health, and he'd gotten very sick, and um, and I was I was resentful about that for a while because sure. I, I had been holding down the fort. Um, taking care of our daughter and um, taking care of the house and whatnot and neglecting my own dreams, my own needs. And I was now having to take care of my sick husband who had been pursuing his dream for, you know, forever. Right. So, you know, I was just as much a part of those choices around that. But at that point, I was resentful. Oh, and, sure. That's and, easy to do. Right. Yeah. And, um, and here I was now having to care for him. So that was I was mad for a while, and then I realized how how um, how destructive that anger and that resentment is. Mm-hmm. And and I had been pushing my near death experience away because I felt like I can't deal with you right now. I can't be what I said I would be, and I can't do what I said I would do because I've got all this other stuff to deal with. And that made me miserable. And I finally got to a point where. Our daughter was suffering, too. She was, you know, feeling the stress of, of what her parents were going through. And, and I saw what was happening to her. She was just having a really hard time. And, and I sat down one night, and I just said, you know what, Krista? You need to stop fighting, stop battling yourself, and get real. And really just get real. So I sat and I thought, okay, what is it that would make me happy? What is it that... I need to do to be the person that I really want to be. And I just started to make little notes. And eventually, it, I developed it into the 12 principles for daily living, which are in the book, I Died and Learned How to Live. And these are the are things that help me to navigate my life um, from really pretty much from that point on. And it embodied, what I didn't realize was it embodied my whole experience in the afterlife and the overarching issue the overarching part of that is monitoring our thoughts so if I'm dealing with something in a situation where I feel like I want it to be a certain way Mm -hmm. then and it's not that way then the first thing is acceptance okay this is the way it is in this moment and then intention what is it you want what is it your desire is and then focus on that intention. You're fighting with your spouse. You want to get along. Focus on getting along. Focus on the fact that that, that is the end result that you want. So what right. do you need to do to get there? You need to love. Be loving in all your words, thoughts, actions. Regardless of how the other person responds to you. Right. Regardless of what they do. You be loving. You be solid and grounded in yourself and be loving. Um, the The other... Part of that, the other thing that we struggle with is the negative thoughts about ourselves. Yes. Like you had said, the difficulty of loving ourselves. And just understanding that that we are loving beings and having that fundamentally 
grounded in that, that we are loving beings. No one can dispute that. There, that is a fact. <laughs> uh-huh. And I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. And nobody is an exception. There is no exception to that. And the, the ego is the thing that contradicts it. And, and that's the part of ourselves that, um, that is rooted in fear. Yes. So when, when we are not feeling good, then ego is involved. Yeah. When we're, we're not feeling good, we need to change that. What is it we can do? We can change our thinking about whatever it is that's going on. If we're saying to ourselves, you know, you're really stupid. You shouldn't have done that. You should have done it this way. Or you should have not made that decision. You should have made another one. Well, that is all destructive thinking. You can't go back and change anything. You just have to look at where you're at right now and make the, you know, take the next best step for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And catch and, yourself and, in the act of negative thinking, you know, because they, they're right. autopilot. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And, and that's the awareness part. It's becoming aware of, okay, this thought's there. Seeing it as something that's not you because you are loving. You are just pure love. And this thought that there that's there is not you. It's not coming from you. And to sort of acknowledge it in, the, in a detached kind of way and say, okay, you're there, and I let you go. And replace it with the opposite of that thought. What do you mean? Well, if you're saying to yourself, you know, mm, your hair color is really, oh, it's terrible. No, your hair color is beautiful. If you want it to change, you can change it. Gotcha, but for right now, you just express the love and the the beauty. And acceptance, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's awesome. Very profound. That feeling of bliss that you had um, when you had that experience, um, do you think that's something we can experience here on Earth? I've, I've heard so many people's experiences and, you know, as much as I try to visualize and what it would be like, it just seems like it's not possible because we're living here on Earth with all these struggles. But are there moments that you've you've been able to feel that bliss? Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, is that I had to go through all that, all those struggles and difficulties here in my body in order to re-experience it. Because when I was able to let go of outcomes, um, when I was able to remember who I was and actually re-experience um, who I, the love I was in the afterlife, um, things really began to change for me. And I just... I just lived my life differently. I made choices that were uh, more healthy for myself. And this is all over the course of years that I did this, but it, anyone can do it, and absolutely anyone. And um, so during the course of that, I, I'll just run through these 12 principles. Really oh, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love these that. These are things that on a daily basis I practice them, and I am not perfect. None of us are perfect. I have bad days. I have bad hours. I have bad moments. Right. But the underlying thing is that what I bring myself back to is that I am love and I'm infinite and I'm a part of everyone and everything. I'm never alone. And so this is, these are the 12 principles. The first one is living awareness. And I was talking about that was knowing that we knowing and understanding and then experiencing the loving beings that we are Mm -hmm. and that we have the ability to change our thoughts at any moment that we have that control to intend our life in the the direction that we want it to go. Mm -hmm. Um, live willingly, meaning that okay, the outcome maybe not be maybe not may not be what you wanted at this time, but knowing that we live in a, a benevolent universe that always has our best interest in mind at all times, and that this particular outcome may seem like it's not something you want, but you know what, it's going to lead you to the next great thing. So, willing to accept that in the moment while still intending what it is that you want will help people to keep moving forward. Okay. Um, live lovingly, just that, oh, just that loving you, but loving me first. Um, live fearlessly. Fear will paralyze us. Fear is the opposite of love. So whenever I find myself in fear, boy, I know, okay, Krista, that's it. Turn it around. What are you afraid of? Is it something that is going to kill you? Right. No. Doubtful. Yeah. Even if it does, even if it does. <laughs> 
I've already been there. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's all, we're all, we're just living in, in, in just a continuum of energy and, and it all goes, it all cycles around. So death is just as much a part of life as life is a part of death. Um, live compassionately. And that's, that's key is to, when you live compassionately, you're, you're identifying, um, in the other, with the other person, um, you're identifying that, yes, you and I are one. Um, and when we're one, then, then there's no separation and Mm -hmm. you can then act to, um, you can then act to do whatever it is that you want to do to help to relieve their suffering. Um, live patiently, which is allowing that moment to be its moment. Um, and then letting it pass. Um, you're stuck in a, in, a, in a traffic jam. It's that way because it's supposed to be that way right then. You enjoy, turn up the music. Um, you know, maybe you're there because there was an accident um, up ahead of you, and if you had been going 30 miles an hour faster, 10 miles an hour faster, maybe you would be in that accident. So to live patiently, live right. presently. When we're in the present moment, we are... Oh, this is a huge one. When we're when we're present, we have all the energy of the universe at our disposal at any given time, and we can inflect that energy in any direction that we want it to go through our intentions. And when we are living in the present, the power of that present moment is is immense, and wow. we can we can we can create anything we want to create um, out of that present moment. You know, the thing is, is that is that that's how that's it's so powerful that one minute I was breathing fine. The next minute I wasn't, I mean, it, things change, things happen and, and anything could happen in any given moment. And right. if we are focused on that and, and focusing our energy and, and our intentions and using it, then we become very powerful creators of our lives. Um, so it's spiritually and spiritually means, I mean, it can mean anything for anybody, but, but my, my own experience with spirituality is that we are to recognize that we're all spiritual beings, that the, the physical bodies are simply the masks that we wear to be able to recognize one another um, as spirits in the physical body. You know, if you, I'm sure you've experienced it yourself where you just feel a connection to somebody. Yes, definitely. It's not, it's, you know, yeah, you know, it's not tangible, but you just have this connection. And that's recognizing the, the being, the spiritual being in the other. And, and, you know, you've had some connection maybe in the past. Um, but spirituality is just knowing that, that we're not, we're not limited by these physical bodies. Um, live faithfully is, is to, you know, I like to put it in words where you don't need faith when you've had experience. So to have faith in the the fact that, that, you know, we will get to where it is we want to go until we have the experience of that, we need to have faith in that. Okay. And that's, that's, that's the thing that helps to keep us going because we're all here to evolve spiritually and to understand that and to have faith in that, in that natural evolution, um, to our highest good is, um, uh, so it just calms the soul. Sure. Um, live purposefully and purposefully is, is that, you know, we all have a purpose and, and for me in my experience, it's to, um, it's to move further closer to the experience of being love in the body, just complete love um, in everything that we do. And but every but along the way, we have little purposes. And to be able to get up in the morning and say, okay, what's my purpose today? Well, first, my purpose is to love, love myself, and love others. And then, what's the next thing I need to do? Well, I need to do the laundry so that I can wear my work clothes, so I can drive my car. Right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, to do all those things, we still have all those mundane human kind of things that we need to do. But then at the end of the day, we've, we know we can take our money and we can enjoy a trip with our family and bond and or we can donate it to a charity or we can do whatever we, we intend to do with it. But every every moment is, a, is full of purpose. Um, live creatively. And this is a big one because we, we're creative um, we're creators and co-creators of our lives. And, and you know, I, in, in the self-help area, um, there's a lot of talk about that. And what I experienced, I experienced it in my, in my near-death experience where I was the creator of my experience and I was co-creating that with the loving universe. And so we, we made it together and that's what we do in our lives. We're not alone. 
in the creation of our lives. We're not alone in going through anything in our life. Um, we have the ability to take our energy and inflect it in the direction of whatever our intention is and create our lives through that. That's awesome. At the same time, yeah, at the same time, we have the support of the, of the divine universe in doing that. So we're never alone. And, you know, when we think bad stuff happens, it's never bad. It's all good. It doesn't matter what it is. It's all for a higher purpose, and that is to bring us closer to the loving beings that we are, um, to bring, bring us closer to experiencing ourselves as the loving beings that we are. And the last one is live miraculously. And boy, that's a fun one because everything is a miracle. You know, watching a butterfly fly through the air with its wings flapping and knowing exactly where it needs to go and what it needs to do and seeing another butterfly flying after it and then dancing in the, in the air. You know, that's a miracle. And to be able to identify with that and feel that and absorb that is just life vivifying. It just creates such a such joy and connection and um, and ultimately love, you know, and that's that's why we're here. So there's miracles everywhere. Yeah, oh yeah, the doctor definitely. Said I, I was, the doctor says I was a miracle, my daughter was a miracle, and my response to that was everything's a miracle. You know, just I didn't have any, I didn't feel that, I didn't approach it from, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm God, I'm such a miracle. You know, and my response to that when I heard it when I came back was, yeah, but everything is. I, I'm no exception. I think Einstein's was the one who said we can look at life as if nothing is a miracle or everything is a miracle. Exactly. Yeah. And if exactly. it's good enough for Einstein, it's good enough for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wise man. Wise man. Yeah. Krista, you're just a glowing, wonderful, loving, brilliant soul. It is so awesome to hear your story. Um, know that you experienced this bliss, but then as humans have it, being able to tell us the struggle to try to integrate this back into your life. And, and, um, you know, it's, I love hearing the stories of the afterlife and as inspiring as they are, but the, the real inspiration comes when you can share your struggles and, um, and, you know, I bet you, you don't have your whole life handled and you don't have perfection everywhere. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you should see you should see the wreck my house is right now. <laughs> but I think the gift from all of this is like we get a set of tools and um, it's applying them into our lives because, you know, I do think we need the fear to experience the love, you know. Um, I, I think that there's a, a point to all of us being here. And, and like you said, um, for the expansion of our, our souls and bringing us closer to who we really are. And um, mm-hmm. that, you know, it may not seem like a game because games, I think, are meant to be fun, but the game of life is that. I mean, there there are things that we can only experience here in this uh, human form. And mm-hmm. one thing I just want to, um, our time's coming to an end, but something that really struck me from this whole interview is that our best interest is always in mind and um, there are times and I'm sure all of us have some things in our life right now that are occurring as pain and misery and struggle and you know it might be hard to look for like how in the world is that for my own good Um, but you know, just, uh, just a bit of sharing, like, you know, my dad died of cancer and those last couple weeks were just hell. I mean, really, truly were. And there was a side of me that I've never seen before. I have never seen the generosity, love and compassion that flew out of me or the intense love. And of course, the obvious is out of that painful experience came my book and and being able to help other people. But for each one of us to look in our life and um, and maybe that's the challenge I want to leave everybody with for today. Whatever happens, you know, look through the lens that my best interest is in, in mind right now. You think that's a good thing to take on, Krista? Oh, yes. Yes. Wonderful message. Yeah, and even if we don't understand it, because in the moment, we don't. But mm-hmm. looking back mm-hmm. on our lives, 
to be the person we are today, you know, we had to experience the good and the bad. And, and I think it would give each one of us today a sense of uh, maybe not stewing on something that's going wrong. Or if you're angry at somebody, don't be stuck in the anger. Just say, you know what, this is, this is for me, you know, wow. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> I've got some growth out of this. There's some loving to be done. And, and um, Krista, I really want to thank you. Is there any closing thoughts that you have? Anything that you've left unsaid? Any last parting thoughts before we, we close the interview? I would just love to wish everyone a very happy holiday and do something nice for yourself. And all the giving that you're doing for everyone else, take a few minutes and just do something really nice for yourself. I love that. That's really, really great. And that's, that's self-love. And Krista Gorman, her website is kristagorman.com. And her blog is there. And also how to find her book. Um, you can spell, we spell her name K-R-I-S-T-A-G-O-R-M-A-N.com. And also an easy link is if you go to we don't die radio.com, you could see the picture of the beautiful Krista Gorman. And then I'll also have the link to her website and her book, I Died and Learned How to Live. And um, yeah, I'm just thrilled. I'm thrilled that we had you today and um, we got to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. This has just been wonderful. Yeah. And so for our listener today, let's put in the self-love, really. And I mean, really, however, whatever you would do for another person, um, you know, do that for yourself today. So my name is Sandra Champlain. You've been listening to We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So I wish you a wonderful day and add that self-love in. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.